I'd like to invite Mark to come up. He's he's uh, he's going to fight with the microphone like I usually do on his way up here. Um, and uh, Mark's certainly going to introduce himself. I'm just going to pray for him in a moment. But he's a guest with us this morning. He's come up, drove up from Melbourne this morning uh, to be here and to share with us uh, really around the topic of mission. It's May. And so for us as a church, we are taking this month to focus on what are we doing um, and what can we do and what are things that are happening with regard to mission, both uh, as we've heard from the Jennings already, uh, mission abroad and also mission here at home, how we're reaching Aussies with the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Mark. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you bring us together into an extraordinary family of people, all different skin colors, all different languages, all different um, places that we find ourselves in the world. And Lord, we know that you have a heart for the people right here, the people in Australia. So Lord, I ask that as as our brother Mark has come to share um, stories and ideas and thoughts to open the scriptures with us this morning, I ask that you would prepare our hearts. I ask that our hearts would be open and soft to hear your voice, Lord Jesus. We pray that your words would be would be on Mark's lips. We pray that your anointing uh, would be on him, and that your spirit would speak to both of us. That that we, as as the listeners, and Mark as the speaker this morning, we mm. would both be blessed, knowing the intimacy mm. of you yourself being at work amongst us. Mm. Lord Jesus, we thank you, mm. and we give you the glory. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you, mate. Appreciate your prayer. Appreciate your piano playing too. My gosh, I didn't know he played the piano. That doesn't come out when we meet together over a coffee or anything along those lines. Wow. I, um, I don't know whether you feel blessed by having a pastor who plays the piano, but I, I hope so because, like, like if a church were, you know, church was about my musicality, the church would be in great trouble. Like, yeah, I, I thank God for drummers because it, without drummers, uh, you, you guys just clapped like I just clapped, We're like all over the place, you know. Uh, and I can't feel rhythm, you know. When God was handing out gifts, He decided rhythm was not something I needed, and so I'm thankful for people who provide rhythm with me. I'm also God decided I didn't need height either, you know. So, um, yeah. So um, it was actually a great delight when I discovered I didn't have to hide behind a pulpit today. So uh, uh, because I'm so short, I sort of feel like I feel like I'm going like this sort of on a pulpit. So uh, I tend to not use them and tend to sort of wander around here. It gives me a bit more of a chance. My name is Mark Wilkinson. I'm a church health consultant with the Baptist Union of Victoria. That sounds very salubrious and very grand. It just means that I wander around and I help churches try to discover what God is doing in their midst and try to help them to think intentionally. Sometimes people ask me, what do you do? And I said, well, I work with churches who are going well and trying to think about how things can get better at this end. And then sometimes I walk into places that uh, things are going really bad and I'm doing conflict mediation and things along those lines. Thankfully, most of my work is more at this end, and so that's a really cool thing. It's been a blessing to be with you today already and to participate in your worship. I'm always never quite sure when I walk into a church, because I walk into different churches at least every second week, as to what people think of the Baptist Union of Victoria, because some people might think, particularly you know, sometimes in the rural areas, hmm, 
Sounds like you guys may have had some of that history um, here. Um, I, do, I do like to tell people we are at the Baptist, and this is why we get out and about, and because we are in the Baptist Union of Victoria, and so I sort of wander around lots of different uh, country towns and country churches, etc. Uh, we're not the Baptist Union of Melbourne, because that would be a really unfortunate acronym if we were. So we are the Baptist Union of Victoria, and I uh, am a father, oh, no, I'm a husband, that's my wife Lynn on the left-hand side. Uh, we've been married for 33 years, and our, that's our two children. Uh, this is about a year ago. My son there, you can sort of see him there grimacing because he had to have a photo. Um, has anybody got any, one, any ones like that? Yeah? Some of you are like that, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, so that's why I haven't had a more recent photo. He's now 15. Uh, he likes three Fs football, fun, and friends. That's his great things. Sorry? Food? Yeah, food. Food is sort of subservient to those things. Okay, doesn't mind food, but less important. And that's my daughter Mia, and she is 13 now. So I have two teenagers. Pray for us. No, teenagers are awesome. We had a great time. Recently, my son uh, turned 15. Recently, we had a 15th birthday party. We had about 30 teenagers uh, in our home, uh, none of them who were churched. Awesome, indeed, indeed, and it was an awesome night. Uh, the one thing I did learn about that night is that my son's musical tastes are different to mine. <laughs> Normally I don't find because he puts his earphones on and so I don't know about it, but I discovered that, I really discovered that his, his, uh, his um, musical tastes are different, wow. Um, I, I was actually born a bit down the road in Bendigo, uh, and... Uh, uh, Wilkinsons have been hanging around sort of the north and northeast for about 150 years. Uh, and um, um, when um, when I met Bob, Bob said I needed to read this book. Have you read, you know this book? I don't know why people are laughing. Anyway, I needed to read this book, so I did. And uh, discovered a lot of uh, connections and so on. And one of the things I, I didn't discover the first time, uh, and I actually really love history, so it was not, it was not a, not a, not a, chore to read it. It was a blessing to read it. I love church history and I love to sort of understand what God has been doing in a place and, and uh, some of the things behind it. What I did discover when I, in fact I only discovered that this week, I didn't disc- discover the first time was when I read, oh that's a nice transition, I didn't know that it would happen, is that, um, I don't know, you might have seen this in the book or it, it, when you had your 140th anniversary, I know that this slide was here, which was the sort of the Kerrang Home Missionary published, you know, 1885 to 1896, okay, June 1888, um, it shows how all these different churches, <laughs> unbelievable. The plan, you know, uh, Wilkin would do, he's doing 7 o'clock at Kerrang, 11 o'clock at Banjapop, is that right? Right, okay, thank you. And uh, 3 o'clock at Lake Charm, etc., etc., etc. Well, I discovered this bloke over here, a Wilkinson over there. Um, and I haven't had enough time to fully, fully confirm this or otherwise, but there's a strong possibility that's my great-great-uncle Tom. Uh, there you go, there you go, that's why. Uh, there you go. Um, um, 
The Wilkinson family history, I mean, my great-great-grandfather came to Victoria, came to Melbourne in 1841, which is incredibly early, given that Melbourne was only colonised in about 1835 or something along those lines. Came out as a free settler, etc., etc. And uh, he, because, of course, he's already here when gold was discovered, he went up, got a bit, a bit of gold, bought some land, etc., etc., and lived down in the, more in the Kyneton area, but he was converted to Jesus. Had a, had a significant conversion experience when he was 50. Uh, and um, he, turned into, he turned from a churchman to a Christian. In fact, so confused was his church background before that, was that I've read two different stories of him. One says he was a Catholic and the other says he's an Anglican. He was confused, I think. He married his wife in a Presbyterian church and so on, and so had this sort of whole sort of thing going on there, but, but uh, had, a, had a significant conversion when he, when he was uh, 50 years old in 1871 at Kyneton, and that sort of has changed the whole, the whole gamut of my family, and that conversion. That's still five generations ago, but you see the spread of that, that, that uh, family tree. So, I mean, one of the things I'm pretty passionate about then is if I go back and think about my kids for a moment, is how do they become the sixth generation of followers of Jesus as well? And so how do we, how do we manage that and how do we uh, help into that space? Um, and so uh, we, we, we are exploring that as a family. I'm going to speak to you out of Matthew's Gospel. If you have a Bible with you, open with me to Matthew's Gospel, okay? Um, some of you got, you can have, lots of you have got Bibles that have got paper on them, and then some of you have Bibles that sort of are more of the digital variety, and that's fine. And so whichever one works for you. When we think of the Gospel of Matthew, how does it start? Tell me, tell me, you can talk, talk back to me now. How does it start? What's chapter one of Matthew? The genealogy and the birth of Jesus. We go on to chapter two, uh, and it's when he's uh, the, the birth narrative, the flight to Egypt, etc. Uh, Jesus experienced uh, being a refugee down there, and then the ministry of John the Baptist. Okay, so then we go to chapter four. We start to see Jesus gathering disciples. There's the temptation, and then there's the, so if you just sort of scroll through that, you'll see that he's gathering disciples. The first four are gathered there, and that also happens in chapter nine where Matthew, the tax collector, is called from his tax collecting booth uh, to there. What happens in chapter 5 to 7? Anybody can tell me what happens in chapter 5 to 7 of Matthew's Gospel? Sermon on the Mount. Pastors aren't supposed to answer that question. You're supposed to let people... One of the great teaching blocks, Matthew organized his gospel very, very, um, very clearly because he, he, he's, you get these little clues and it has five little teaching blocks right throughout the gospels. And that's the first of the teaching blocks where he gathers uh, 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 the, the teachings that were given there on the, on the Sermon on the Mount and gathers them all together in a little teaching block. And you can see, if you look very carefully at all at the end of each of those five teaching blocks, you see there's a little sign that that's an end of a teaching block. Matthew is specifically trying to tell the Jewish people about who Jesus is. You can see how he does that in so many times where he quotes from the Old Testament, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, thus fulfilling the prophecy of David, etc., etc. He has these five little teaching blocks because he's trying to imitate the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the Torah. So he has these little five teaching blocks because he wants to see that this is a part of that. So that's what happens. The first of those teaching blocks is in chapter 5 to 7. And then we start to see in chapter 8 and 9 some stories of some miraculous deeds. 
some amazing miracles that happened there in chapter 8 and 9. Uh, what do we got? The faith of the centurion, man healed with leprosy. Uh, the, the uh, yeah, the centurion, um, the, the the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, etc., etc. The calming of the storm, the restoring of the two demon-possessed men, etc. Uh, and so we see the healing of the blind and the mute, dead dead girl, and he, and heals the sick woman. So we see again a, a bunch of miracle stories. I mean, it was it was wasn't it beautiful to hear about the story that Dick talked talk to us about about how God is doing some amazing God is doing some amazing things around the world in reaching Muslims. And one one of the ways He does that is just by keep, keep giving them dreams. You you ought to pray for. I don't know how many Muslims you have around in this area, but but we have a whole heap in my area where I live in the western suburbs of Melbourne. We ought to be praying that people would see dreams about Jesus. And that seems to be the way that God is using that. We've had a whole bunch of of uh, Muslim people get converted uh, in and around Werribee Baptist, where I was pastoring most recently into that space. So we got there to the end of chapter 9. Now... Uh, how many chapters are there in the in the Gospel of Matthew? Who didn't tell me that, Pastor? Don't yell out. Twenty-eight. I heard someone say. Is that right? Twenty-eight. So we got to the end. We're getting to end of chapter nine. So we're about a third of the way through the Gospel. Okay. And so what we see at the end of chapter nine is this: we read these uh, these uh, ideas that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. How's that sound to you? Sound pretty cool? Yeah, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, just try to put that in your own little setting here. Um, uh, of you know, think of those little all those little preaching stations that were talked about from 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 in the in the eighteen nineties. Think of it like that. Think of it that that that, uh, that Jesus is going through the towns and villages. You know, he's going over to Kahuna and he's going up to Ganawara and he's going up to Kundruk and he's going where else? He's got, you know, he's going around all these little local areas and you can have the sense of it, can't you? He's going through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. When does that happen? Probably Saturday when they gather. On their on their Sabbath, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness, and it's good, isn't it? And it's like, but these little pockets of things are happening, and so it's like this little sort of touch of ministry, the touch of God is happening in all these little places. Uh, and and I know I read that. I'm sure you you read that, and we see, wow, that's awesome. But when Jesus was doing that, he could see the insufficiency because he said he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One of the things, of course, that when Jesus came to earth, that he had to limit himself to a physical body, and so therefore he could only be in one place at one time. Wouldn't you love to be in more than one place at one time? Right now I'd like to be in three different places. Right now, I mean, I'm super excited to be here with you right now. But I'd love to be with my daughter, who's doing a thing today, and I'd love to be with my son, who's doing a thing today, and and my wife is with my daughter. So I, you know, I could love to be in three places at once. But unfortunately, I can only be in one place at one time, and so can you. You might like to be doing some other things right now. There'll be other things, but you've chosen to come here today and invest your time and your space here. And so even though it was a great thing that Jesus was going through all the towns and villages, like when he was there it was awesome, but then he was aware that when he was in one place he wasn't everywhere else because he could only be in one place at one time. And it says when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them, harassed and helpless. And for Jesus, whenever we read in the Gospels that he had compassion, what you see afterwards is that something happened. 
Compassion always led to action. Sometimes he had compassion on people and fed them. Sometimes he had compassion on them and he healed them. Sometimes he had compassion on them and taught them. But every time, if you read that, you read it very clearly, you'll see that compassion always led to action in Jesus. And so here's the action that he was then suggested. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Pray. Pray. Therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. That fits with your theme, doesn't it? Pray. Pray. I mean, you guys up here know, know stuff about harvest field. Do I, do I get you? You know way more about You can teach me a whole lot more about harvest field than what I could ever, ever know. You know, I think, I think meat comes from a butcher. Bread comes from a bakery. I think you guys know different to that. You could teach me a whole lot about that. But see, see what's going on here. Jesus is doing stuff, first of all. Secondly, he sees the insufficiency of that. He sees that there are people who are not being touched. And he says, what we need to do is we need more people to go and do more stuff. We need the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's not enough people. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers in his field. You know what? When Jesus says to pray for something, I reckon it's a good idea to pray for it, eh? Mm. And so sometimes when we read about this and sometimes we think about this and, and because we're good Baptists, we think May is Mission Month and we think about the world around us and, and the global world and the global interaction that, that our denomination is a part of and which is good. And we think of the sort of the, you know, we heard from Fiji, which is awesome and so on. And we think of the, and the Middle East and that's awesome. And, you know, where there's a young girl from Werribee who's going out to Nepal. Awesome. You know, we think of that and we think of Egypt and the, and the, you know, Dick's encourages to think about the Middle East. Awesome. But it's more than that. It's also, it's, it's, it's around us as well. And so what he, what Jesus actually does about it then is if we go to chapter 10, that he starts selecting 12 guys who are going to help him. Yeah, it's a fascinating list. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus spent a whole night of prayer before he selected it. Understand that Jesus had a wider group of just 12 blokes that he could have chosen. It wasn't like, they, well, I've got these blokes, they'll have to do. No, no, they were, you can see there was, a, there was a night of prayer. There was a, I mean, later on we see him sending out 72. So at the very least we see that there's a, a wider group of disciples, or a wider group of followers who were prepared to go out. And so there is the 12 who are here. That, and so he, he needed to know from the Father whom he should be uh, selecting. Again, a little pause, a little sila moment to think for a moment. If Jesus needed to spend a whole night in prayer, how much, before he had a sense from the Father what he should be doing, how much more might we need to, to invest in prayer? to know the Father's will in our lives, in our church life, in our life together. And uh, Mark tells us in his gospel that they were specifically they were called to him. They were called in relationship. They were called to be with him. And then he sent them out. So the, the, the sending out was the sort of the process that happened after the calling to him, that he built relationship with them, that they, they did stuff together. They were with him together. And it's a fascinating list to look at. We, we have, uh, the, as you look there in chapter, chapter uh, 10, the first few verses, uh, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, actually said first, Simon, like he's number one, okay? And, and that was clear later on, wasn't it? By the time the, the uh, day of Pentecost comes up, who's the preacher? Peter. 
Simon. He's known as Simon at that stage. Peter. We can look at that. First in leadership, and his brother Andrew. Secondly, whoops, James and John. They formed an inner circle of three with Peter. There were three different times that, that Jesus called James, John, and Peter together as a sort of like a, they, they had some experiences, just those three guys. I was reading my daily reading this morning, one of those times, which was the Mount of Transfiguration. Where, and, and it's, I mean, I have the question, well, why did those three get to go there and why not the others? And I, I can't answer that, but, but there was three times and there was, anybody know the other, any of the, either of the other two times those three guys were together? Yeah, in the garden to pray, and then I think you've got it. Yeah, that's right. Jairus' daughter. Give those two people a minty, you're right? They got the Bible quiz right. Well done. What? We don't do minties anymore? We Don't tell me in churches we're into dental health these days. My gosh. My teeth are ruined by all the minties I won in the Bible classes that uh, were growing up. So we had those, those, and I had those three different experiences. The other eight we don't know a huge amount about. Apart from, well, we obviously know Matthew, the tax collector. Okay, he, that's how he writes humbly of himself. What are the let's remind ourselves from what do the tax collectors do? The tax collectors collect the taxes. Yeah, um, they, they, what do they do? They work for the Romans. Are collaborators, and we know from Zacchaeus' story that they didn't always do a great job of it, did they? And that they, they weren't very popular. If you wanted to sort of put, give someone a put down, you would call them a tax collector. Like that would be a, a that's a, that's a negative thing that you would say. And and Matthew takes that upon himself to say he was Matthew the tax collector. Another guy in that list, if we go down the list, there's a guy called Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Anybody know much about the Zealots? Anybody know much about the Zealots? The Zealots were like they were sort of like the the ones who thought that they should should um, sort of be aggressive towards the Romans. They would, they would, they would, they had such zeal for the law and for the Jewish law that they would, they would at times have these raids where they would be, they would, they would um, try to attack the Romans. I want you to just think about that for a moment. Up here, we've got Matthew, the tax collector, the Roman collaborator. Okay. Up this end. We have Simon the Zealot, who believed the way you should deal with the Romans is to try to kill them. A modern name for the Zealots could be the terrorists, by the way. So you got the one who thought we should be killing the Romans over here, and the one who thought we should be collaborating with the Romans over here, and Jesus calls them together on the one team. Let me help you understand what that's like because you're looking a little blank over here. I want you to just imagine that um, Matthew would be like a Greens supporter. He would vote Green at the election. And Simon would be voting for Fraser Anning. Yeah? Does that help you understand these guys a bit better now? I can see by the smiles you're getting that a bit more. And Jesus calls them together. Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting. You don't have to agree to serve together. You don't have to agree to serve together. You don't have to agree on everything about to serve together. We, we have a greater call and a greater mission. 
to, as followers of Jesus. That's going to be greater than some of the other things that we might disagree on. We don't have to agree on everything to be able to serve together. I think that's a really fascinating thing, the way Jesus models that for us. I'd have loved to been to, to uh, I'd love to have heard those guys debate politics around the campfires. And he calls them together. And so then he calls them, he's called them to him, and then we have a first sense in Matthew 10, uh, verses 5 to 7, of how they're sent out. They're called together, first of all, then they're sent out. Now, why is Jesus sending them out? Remember, he said they were all, we were, Jesus was going around, people were following him, there was just like one group, one little posse. Jesus and all his posse sort of would go to Kahuna one week and Ganawara the next week and Kundrick the next week and then it was Swan Hill the next week and wherever the next week. But he says, no, 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 what we're going to do is we're going to multiply this. We're going to be heading out. And the implication is that they're going to be heading out two by two, implied in Matthew's gospel, named in Luke's gospel. So we've got these little six little pairs of guys who are going out there into six different ways. And we read, we read on to Matthew 11, we'd see that Jesus himself then also went out. And so one group has now been multiplied into seven groups. Six pairs of disciples and, and Jesus himself going out by himself. And so the mission, the prayer of Luke, of sorry, of Matthew nine thirty thirty, uh, which one is it? Thirty eight. Ask the Lord of the Harvest to send out, send out more workers. It's being answered already. Hallelujah, hey. And so Jesus said, "Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to go out and you need to sort of uh, proclaim." He made it easy for him. He said, if we go to verse 5, don't go among the Gentiles or any other of the towns of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, that's because, not because he didn't like them or because he was racist or anything along those lines. He just wanted to make it easy for them. Later on, we know in the book of Acts, they went to the Samaritans. Later on, we know they went into, indeed, the commandments to go to the ends of the earth. But for now, first one, just, let's just make it easy for you. Just go to your people, all right? The ones you're comfortable with. I'm not going to put you outside your comfort zone too far. Just go to your people. Go to the, go to the Jews. Go to the people of Israel, okay? Make it easy for you. And he said, as you go, proclaim this message. Here it is. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Interesting, by the way. That, that message is exactly the same as Jesus' message in Matthew 4. The only thing that Jesus added was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near in Matthew 4.17. So the disciples are sent out okay, with the same commission as Jesus. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, need to uh, just think about this word, Proclaim. Some translations of uh, this uh, text have uh, preach. When you think of preaching or proclaiming a message, I wonder what you think about. I think the metaphor, I think the visual picture that we tend to have of that is exactly what I'm doing now. Someone standing up front of another gathering, of a gathering of people, and talking. And whilst there's been a few times where I've invited you to talk back to me, most of the times you're dutifully listening. And I am speaking to you, and you're listening. We call that monologue, one person talking. And one person, and then a whole bunch of people listening. 
And that is what we think of when we say preaching. You'll uh, go home this afternoon, you'll talk to someone, and see uh, maybe someone who wasn't at church today, and I'll say, oh, how was church? You know, what was going on, etc. Yeah, Dick spoke, and we had communion, and Mark preached. We have this guy from the BUV who preached. And we have this visual image that preaching is one person standing up and then proclaiming that. And for most of you, if I said, your job is to preach, most of you would be out that door as quick as you possibly could. Most people hate public speaking. Who likes public speaking? One, two, three, four, five, six. I'm glad you had put your hand up there, Bob. Some debate about that, some inner wrestle with you. Do I like this or not? It's been noted that one of the greatest fears that people have is public speaking. And here the Gospels are telling you, and here Jesus is telling you, that you need to preach. I want to take some pressure off for you. The brilliant missiologist and linguist, Charles Kraft, tells us that the Greek word proclaim here, it's a Greek word called caruso. I wasn't very good at Greek, so I've got to look those things up. Is it just the church sermon, i.e. a monologue? He says, no, no, a better translation is communicate. Communicate. Now, if we use the word communicate, we open up all sorts of possibilities, don't we? Just as I got said that word communicate, I got a text message from my daughter. She's communicating with me. She doesn't realize that I'm in the middle of a sermon. She didn't think about that when she sent me a text message. She wants to communicate a message to me. How many of you could send a text message? Not all the older people can do that. That's okay. Hey, young people, hey, can you do text messages? No. No? You can't yet? I tell you, not allowed, fair enough. One day you will. When my kids do text messages, I can't believe what they do. When I do a text message, I go like this. When they do text messages, they go... Thumbs go flying. And they have an amazing accuracy. I cannot believe how they do that. They can communicate. Communicate can also mean... Hang on. How are you? Sorry, I've just embarrassed you, haven't I? Sorry, I've just embarrassed her. (laughs) Sitting down having a one-on-one conversation. How many of us could sit down and have a one-on-one conversation? Yeah, we could all do that. Have a couple with someone. We could all do that. And so all of a sudden now this whole idea of, of proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near, which is, sort of sounds really intimidating. Sorry to embarrass you. I apologize for that. Sorry. All of a sudden it's just way more simple. And all of us can do that. Hey, let's add even more to that. If we go to verse 8, it goes on to say, uh, he goes on to say, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And it's just sort of some basic stuff there, you know, that they should be doing. You know, we can all do that, can't we? You know, no worries, that's fine. Yeah, we can all do that. But what he's adding in there, the whole idea is that actions can communicate as well. And even some of you who aren't particularly comfortable having a one-on-one conversation, you can do actions. You can do acts of love. You can like take someone a meal. Like, and often people who aren't very comfortable with verbal are really good at actions of giving love and showing love and showing care and hey, how you doing? And how's your day? And how's your weekend? And a little oh, 
You know, I said to a mate the other day, he just said, he didn't seem like he was doing too well. I said, are you okay? He said, wow, I haven't had anybody ask me that in months. Just on the phone to a mate, are you okay? Opened up a whole other conversation. We could do that, couldn't we? We can do that. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near freely. He goes on to say, verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. Those of us who have received something of the grace of God are then called to dispense something of the grace of God. Jesus says, I want you to communicate that the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's an interesting idea that I want to give to you into this space, to be involved in Jesus' mission to transform your community. I uh, work at the BUV, Baptist University Victoria, 30 hours a week, sort of that's regarded as four days a week, but I also work as a school chaplain for 10 hours a week. And so uh, I get to communicate the love of God, not so much in words, but in actions, into that space. And in the particular community that I live in, you know, we have have a bunch of kids from Syria, from South Sudan. I got, a, I got uh, the places kids come from. They're just amazing. And we have a, a, a girl from Yemen. Okay, who know? Anybody even know where Yemen is? Yeah, like Yemen is one of the. We're talking about people who've come from like probably the worst countries in the world. Certainly, the most difficult things to be in the world. How does it mean to be involved in Jesus' mission to transform your community? So we, we get to talk about that. And I get to, to um, before Easter, I ask them, hey, what are you going to do with your Easter holidays? What are your Easter traditions? Gives me the opportunity to talk about my Easter traditions. I go to church on Good Friday. Love going to church Good Friday. Go to church Easter Sunday. Go to the footy Easter Monday. All part of my Easter tra- tradition. It's got to be holistic in all those things. So, so we, we get to talk about some of those things. We get to talk with a number of the Muslim kids in the school about their traditions and so on and to be respectful about this. See, Jesus has a desire to transform your, transform your community. He does. And he invites you to be a part of it. And you get the opportunity to think about what does that, what does that mean for you? Now, is, is your community just the sort of the dotted line around the town of Kerrang, or is it broader than that? I mean, I've already met some people who are farmers and etc. beyond that, and so it, it's beyond that. When I read this book, it's sort of a whole, uh, these pioneers had a vision right throughout the north into that space. Pray for the kingdom to come in this space. Again, theme of prayer today. You remember, I'm sure you all remember, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Yeah? Okay? Now, let's think about it. Our Father who art in heaven, we'll use the old language. Our Father who art in heaven, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. As a, if you don't know what that means, you're welcome. You know, like, what does that mean? Holy is your character, is, is my translation for it. That's saying, how good is God? Okay? What's next? Your kingdom come. Let's pray to your kingdom come. What's next? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to have a look. When you, if your Bibles are a good Bible, 
you will see that the little phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, okay, actually just doesn't relate to the third one of those. Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It actually relates to all three of those. So the structure of the... I actually learned something else in Greek. It's awesome. Fantastic. So that that the the structure of the prayer is that uh, our Father uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the on earth as it is in heaven relates to all those three things. Okay, and you'll actually see that if you have a look in Matthew chapter six and so on, where it has that. What it should have is you have those three things sort of in a line. You'd have if we if we did it in modern text, we'd have those three things in bullet points, and the on earth as it is in heaven, we'd indent that one more because it relates to all three in the Greek. Okay, relates to all three of those things. Okay, and so when we're told to pray for God for His Your Kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, okay. So when we pray for for Your Kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, we can pray that for uh, the 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 preacher from Egypt, and you know we can pray for God's kingdom to come in Egypt, and we can pray for our, the missionary that you support in Fiji, so you can pray for God's kingdom to come in Fiji as it is in heaven. Or we're also praying also for our Australian election that we have come out. I actually voted already, so I did early voting. I'm going to be in another church on the election day, so I thought, oh, well, I'll vote early, get it done. See if I stop getting text messages from Clive, if he knows I've already voted, etc. So, so, so we can get that done. So, but, so when we pray for the election, which we should do, because we're told we should do that, we're praying for God's will to come in Australia as it is in heaven. And then let's just think about your community here. Let's just imagine the walls aren't here and we're looking out for a moment across the Kerrang town. We're praying for God's, for, for his kingdom to come in Kerrang as it is in heaven. You can pray for your town like that. But then, you know, let's think about that broader, as we say, like the, like the forebears did, like, like I saw Wilkins name up here, didn't I? Called home, 1940. Pioneer Baptist work, okay. So, like, like, like Wilkins' vision and like Slade's vision, they just didn't see of a town; they saw a region. And we can pray for your kingdom to come. What does this say? A sanctuary of Baptist work and witness in Northern Victoria. So we pray; we can pray for your kingdom to come in Northern Victoria, as it is in heaven. And that's 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 what that prayer means for us to pray. I, I, I'm not even sure. This might be controversial, but I'm not even sure we're supposed to pray it. Like our Father in heaven, heaven hallowed be the name of your kingdom. Come, your will be done on earth in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You can say it in about 14 seconds. If I'm going to pray that meaningfully, I can't do it in less than half an hour. I can't do it in less than half an hour. If I'm going to pray for that, if I'm going to pray that prayer meaningfully, because we could teach a parrot to say it, couldn't we? You have to be a clever parrot, let's be honest, but you could teach someone to say that. But to let it imbibe you and let it, let it transform you to understand, pray for your kingdom to come in our community. And we communicate that the kingdom of God has come near. We're called to be. We're called into mission. May is mission month. We're called to pray. And we're called to bring the mission of God into this space. I would love to pray for you today. As you seek to be faithful to the mission of God in this area, 
in this town, in this community. Can I pray for you? Is that okay? All right. Well, let me, let's pray together. Father, I pray for these dear saints who are here today. Thank you for the, for the life and energy that is here in this place today. The desire to see your name lifted high. Thank you for the history that is, that just is here in this place where I see the, the message of the kingdom that has been preached, that has been communicated, that has been demonstrated, that has been prayed for, that has been loved in for 140 years. And Lord, I pray for these dear saints, older saints, younger saints, men, women, children, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, those who are hurting, those who are joyful. Lord, I pray for each one who is here today, that they might know afresh what it is to know something of the life of Jesus within them. I pray for a fresh infusion of your Holy Spirit within each one of us. We thank you, Lord, that when you left, Jesus, that you didn't leave us alone, that you sent your Holy Spirit so that your ministry could be continuing on and we would be empowered and enabled to be your people, to do your will. I pray for these saints individually. I pray for them as a group, as a church, as a congregation as the leaders, as the congregational members, that they might know your enabling to be your people, to do your will, to proclaim in all the sense of that, to communicate through words, through deeds, through actions, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is accessible. It's not remote. It's not far off. We thank you, Jesus, that you saw us as we were and you weren't repelled by us when we were still sinners, that you, you died for us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you. We honor you. We choose to follow you afresh. We pray for this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.